It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we're on the virtual bible study tonight on this um, thursday evening may 6 2010 my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad welcome to the program jacob great to be with you thanks for organizing this and thanks for making it possible for us to have a Internet Bible study group every Thursday night. We always look forward to it and uh, hope that we can encourage one another and be reminded of the truths that are in God's Word. It's good to have you back tonight. Well, I was here last week. You were half here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you're feeling <laughs> a little, better. A little sick. A little, little sick. Not bad. And Not bad. Uh, we're glad you're here tonight. Well, we've got an interesting topic planned for tonight, and we look forward to your participation at 877-381-4567 or over email at questions at collegeview.com. It is Mother's Day on Sunday, and so we thought it might be timely to talk about mothers and women. Let's talk about sort of God's plan for women, for their role, for what they do, what God wants them to be doing. That's sort of the general theme that we want to investigate in our program tonight, God's role for women. We want to investigate it sort of twofold ways in the home and in the church. We had one uh, emailer who wrote back and said, what about when they're not at home and not in the church? Well, We really kind of intend for that to be an inclusive kind of concept, God's role for them in the church and in the home. Uh, We weren't saying when they're at church specifically or when they're in the house specifically. We're talking about their roles, their realm. That's what we want to talk about in our study tonight. It is a timely topic, and so we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just a personal thing that I have, but I sort of don't like the fact that Mother's Day and Father's Day is on Sunday. You know, I think that should be a day that's reserved for that, that's the, Lord, the Lord's Day. The yeah. Lord's Day, but uh, it is good to uh, to take some time to uh, honor those who are fathers and mothers, and so uh, it is certainly an important role and a role that is uh, minimized by our society today. Really, yeah. I had I had a friend send a, uh, an email link, I think just a day or yesterday, where a, a mother in East Tennessee had gone on strike, and this and this person who sent it to me thought it was pretty appalling, just the attitude toward motherhood that was indicated in that uh, kind of a concept. I'll just go on strike. I just refuse to do what I'm supposed to be doing as a wife and mother. That's an extreme example, but it it represents a attitude that is held widely in our society today, that uh, it's just being a mother, being a woman, according to what God would want you to be, is just simply it's... Well, but it also implies the idea that it's optional. Right. That I could choose to do it or not choose to do it. As You know, a woman could make that choice. You know, I, I just refuse to do that. Well, what we hope to point out in our study tonight is that God has roles, assignments for women, and it's not optional. These are these are the things that God insists that they do. Furthermore, God's roles for any of us are not degrading. They're not. Uh, God did not want to make us miserable by the roles that He gave us. He gave us the roles for a reason, and we need to adopt those roles uh, gladly. Yeah. Maybe before we get into our study tonight, maybe just a little bit of housekeeping, Jacob. We got an email from Keith up in Hendersonville, Tennessee, who wrote to ask if everybody in our area had survived the massive flooding. Uh, I don't know if you're listening from some other part of the country or maybe from some other part of the world. You may or may not know that here in Middle Tennessee last weekend we had flooding of nearly biblical proportions, Jacob. It was kind of amazing. We talked about the flood last Thursday, and then over the weekend we had just enormous floods in places they're saying it is potentially a thousand year flood you wouldn't expect to see a flood like that in a thousand years you know the figure speeches it rained buckets it literally rained buckets i had a bucket on my back deck that was full a five gallon bucket full of rain yeah we had tremendous amounts of rain some parts of middle tennessee had over 20 inches of rain in two days and of course the flooding was just phenomenal we know some christians who suffered some loss in it uh as far as we know, they're, they're being taken care of. Everything is okay. Right here, the, we didn't have any uh, 
significant problems among members of, of this local congregation, but everybody had to deal with you, a lot of water. You heard about the church building uh, north of here that had the water in, uh, in the building up to the back of the pews, uh, up uh, the top of the pews. You're talking about uh, in Dixon County yeah, in Dixon, at the, at the right. Rock Church, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, some, some serious flooding. Yeah, so, uh, but again, thanks, Keith, for asking. I think maybe Keith himself suffered some loss in that flood. So, uh, yeah, a lot, lot of people hurting, but uh, it's, it's manageable. I think we're going to be okay. So, uh uh, appreciate him asking about that. All right. We want to hear from you tonight as we talk about the role of women. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You can join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight if you'll follow the instructions on your screen. If you're watching our video feed at Ustream.tv, uh, click on the menu button and uh, click go to show page if you're watching us from the virtualbiblestudy.com. And uh, the chat room will be on your right-hand side there at Ustream. Dot TV, where you can look at uh, comments from other listeners and make your comments as well. Yeah, and if you don't have an account there, it's real easy. And you know, I mean, you just put in a username and a password, and you're in there, and it's free, and it doesn't, it's no problem to set up. So go ahead if you're listening. I see that there are several people who are in that chat room who are not registered users, and if you want to make a comment, you can read the comments that others are making. But if you'd like to comment, and we'd like to get your comments, get yourself a little free membership there at Ustream.tv, and uh, you can join in. All right. Earlier today, you asked some questions of our listeners who are signed up to our update list. Uh, four questions that you asked of them. Yeah, real simple, real simple questions, and we'd like to get some input uh, from you about women in the Bible. Who do you think are some women in the Bible who set worthy examples either in the home or in the church or both? In both realms. Okay. So, you know, give us some examples that you can think of women who were notable, who gave worthy examples in their family relationships, and some who were, were notable and gave worthy examples in church relationships. So, first of all, we're looking for women as ex- some examples. And we can do this all through the program, Jacob. We can take your input. If you think of some women who deserve what you think might be special recognition from the Bible, let us know who you think they are. And then, secondly, how do you summarize? What would you say in, in a very simple summary? What do you think God's role for women is in the church and then in the home? Uh, talk. We want to talk about women's roles. What God? What does God want them to be doing? All right. 877-381-4567 is the quickest, easiest, and most guaranteed way for your voice to be heard. Uh, let us know your thoughts to those questions or any comments you might have on the role of women. What does the, the Bible tell us about that? And uh, send an email to questions at collegeview.com. And and one more topic that I'm, I think we might want to get to before the program's over, Jacob, is the idea of women keeping silence in the church. Uh, there there is a, a a statement in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse thirty four: Let your women keep silence in the church in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. I'd like to, before we get done with the program, I'd like to get to that passage and see if we can sort of do a little analysis of the the, the proper understanding and application of what Paul said there. It, it, it definitely applies. We should be doing what that verse says. How should we apply it? That's a big issue in churches today, women, preachers, and teachers. It is even a big issue in so-called churches of Christ today. Uh, what is the role of women in the worship assembly? So let us know your thoughts. Join in on the discussion tonight. I'm going to start us out, Jacob, by talking about some women in the church. We were looking for some examples. And I think the New Te- in the New Testament, in, in the church, we read of some women who were very worthy examples of the kind of people that God would have women to be. Uh, let me offer these, and if we get any other suggestions from our listeners, we'd be glad to get those as well. But in the early church, we read about, for instance, Dorcas. In Acts chapter 9, beginning verse 36, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. When Peter was come, they brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. There's a woman who left a great example, who... Obviously, what was an important uh, in in her relationship with people who knew her, you know, she she wasn't uh, she didn't attain to great high political office. She wasn't a corporate executive. She didn't 
you know. Uh, I don't think that she was rich here. Doesn't by care that she was standards. Yeah. But man, what a what a legacy that she left behind. As it talks about the things that she'd done, people wept when they remembered her and the good things that she had done for them in her life. Women today would do well to imitate that. I mean, to be busy in such good works, and and that when you're gone, people would remember you and say, "This is what she did." Look here. Here's an example of the kind of thing that she was always doing. And it was good, and it, it left an impression on them, not because it was something she was doing for herself, but it was centered on serving others, and uh, certainly a, an excellent example. Yeah. And then I got another one also in the book of Acts in chapter 16, beginning verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended to the things that were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Lydia, I think, is a good example uh, in the New Testament. Here's a woman uh, who was engaged in some sort of business enterprise. We don't know the full extent of that. But it seems clear that her main emphasis was on spiritual things. Even though she was in a foreign city and she was engaged in in a business enterprise, she made time to seek out a place to worship. And when she was confronted with the truth as preached by Paul, she was receptive to it. And then upon being receptive to it, she wanted to assist and in whatever way she could be a part of helping the spread of the gospel. All right. So lots of good things that you can say about Lydia there well, in that text. Sure, absolutely. Uh, in Romans 16, verse 1, we read about a sister named Phoebe. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria. Uh, certainly another woman there that could be a, an excellent example, known as a servant of the yeah, church. Yeah, and, and we don't know any particular details on her, but she, the very fact that Paul commended her in that Roman epistle would indicate that this woman's stood out as a great example of the kind of servant that that God wants a woman to be. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, what are some things that a woman can do uh, along the lines of these women and they, following the example of these women? What are some things that uh, women should strive for as they strive to be people that God would have them to be? Anthony in Columbia, Tennessee, rep- references Mary, the sister of Martha, as being a good example. Certainly she was interested in spiritual I'm, things. I'm going to have to look that up. I was trying to... Th- off the top of my head, I was trying to think of that text, Jacob. And she's chosen the better part? Yeah. All right. Uh, Let me look it up real quick here. I'll find it. Uh, that would be, ooh, at the, okay. Um, it's Luke, isn't it? Luke. Uh, if, you got, are you not up yet? Well, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it's Luke 10, verse 42. Okay. Luke 10, 42. I should have known that, but uh, uh, you may recall that episode where Jesus was in the home of Mary and her sister Martha, and her brother Lazarus. And Jesus was teaching, and Mary sat at his feet and heard his words. It says Luke chapter 10, verse 39. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost not thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And so that's a pretty, that's, that's, although nearly a 2,000 year old episode, that's very applicable to our day and time as well as any day and time. The idea that you get so busy about temporal things and, and, and not necessarily bad temporal things. In this case, Martha was, was what she was doing was good and appropriate. Uh, you know, she was showing hospitality, attending to her guest, but there was something more important than that. And what was more important than that was, to, to seek the Lord and to hear his word and, and to attend to spiritual things. And so she, 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 Martha wasn't doing anything wrong per se, but Mary was commended in that she had a, a deep spiritual interest. And so, again, another example of what a woman ought to be as God seeks. All right. It's time for a break. Anthony quickly in Columbia follows up. He says, women can do much good in the church, ministering to the sick, widows grieving. They can support and nurture their husbands and children. They can teach Bible classes, etc. We'll get into some of that on the other side of the break. If you have comments, send them in now or give us a call. 
Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right These after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Jerry Fralix. I'm a member of uh, College View Church of Christ here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I have a few words to say. Occasionally, we hear parents who say that they don't want to force religion on their children. These misguided folks think they're doing their kids a favor by letting them decide for themselves. They're afraid that there will be some resentment in their children later if religion had been crammed down their throats. If we may be absolutely blunt in response, that is one of the most ridiculous ideas anyone ever suggested. We force many things on our children. We insist that they bathe, brush their teeth, change their clothes, etc. We cram education down their throats by making them attend school regularly. We demand that they do their homework. We force them to eat good food, get adequate rest, and do other things that are important to their health and development. We do all of this because we know it is in their best interest, and we do it even when the kids don't like it. Why is it this such a common sense approach is neglected by parents who are determined to let the kids decide for themselves when it comes to religion? Dr. James Dobson writes, there's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are easier in the life of children. There is a brief period during childhood when youngsters are vulnerable to religious training. Their concepts of right and wrong are formulated during this time, and their views of God begin to solidify. The opportunity of that period must be seized when it is available. The absence or misapplication of instruction through that prime time period may place a severe limitation on the depths of the child's later devotion to God. When parents withhold indoctrination from their small children, allowing them to decide for themselves, the adults are almost guaranteeing that the youngsters will decide in the negative. God's word has always taught us the truth on the subject. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about women and uh, what uh, their examples that we can read about in the Bible. Uh, Sharon in South Carolina mentions Priscilla of Aquila and Priscilla fame. Oh, man, that's a great example. Yeah, it certainly is. And she says that she was rooted in the word. Yeah, Uh, certainly she was. You know, that's a great study, just to study all the references to Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, I, I preached a sermon one time. I said, just some ordinary Christians. And, of course, it was sort of a plain word because they were exceptional Christians, but they were not apostles, no indication that uh, Aquila was an elder in the church necessarily. He wasn't a gospel preacher. But, man, they did so much good. Everywhere they went, effectively, the church ended up meeting in their house and uh, they just an extraordinary example of a Christian couple. So, I, yeah, thank you, Sharon. I think that's a great example. And we also see that Aquila was engaged in teaching as a result of her being Priscilla. Around, Priscilla. I'm sorry, Priscilla was in, and Aquila, but uh, was engaged in pre and teaching. Uh, as a result of her being grounded in the word, as Sharon indicated, uh, in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him into, unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Certainly so, shows her grounding in the word that she was able to help Apollos uh, uh, know the word more more completely. Right, and I think that I think we we want to investigate that subject of women's teaching role a, a little more thoroughly. But there's an example of a woman who participated even in teaching a man. I, I might throw in another verse here, Jacob, and then we can comment about this. In Titus chapter two, verses three and four, it says the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. So women, older women in particular assigned a responsibility to be teachers and then in specific to teach younger women. Um, we don't we don't see enough of that. I'm convinced that in the church today we don't see enough of that. I think part, part of the problem, not meaning to be offensive here because as we grow older, we don't like to see ourselves as older. I know I don't like to envision myself as an older person, although I am. 
And I think sometimes we've got that problem with women. They don't like to to assume the role of older women. They don't want they don't want to think of themselves or have others think of them as older women. But when women reach a, a, a mature age, the, here's a God-given assignment: teach specifically, teach the younger women. So women ought to be teaching as part of the role that God gave them, part of what He wants them to do. Certainly, they're to teach women, to teach children. But in the case of Aquila and Priscilla, we see. In the right setting and and with the proper restraints and conditions, a woman can even participate in the teaching of a man. Okay, all right. Uh, back to your point about older women teaching younger women. I think we see the results of it in the church. I think we see a, a lack of, of that, and I think we there, there are women who need that instruction. Anthony says he sees it as well. I'm sorry, Sharon says she sees that as well. Um, perhaps they're not teaching. I'm not. Uh, make, we don't want to make a blanket. Uh, assumption here, but Anthony gives the point of re- one reason why they may not. And she, he says, speaking of rooted in the word, a woman who has learned in the scriptures a wonderful thing, so many women, I fear, defer to their husbands and don't have the knowledge they should. And no doubt, of course, many husbands lack knowledge too. Yeah, good observation. Perhaps they're not teaching because they don't uh, have the knowledge themselves. Yeah. Um, and then Sharon says, and younger women don't always want to listen to what older ones teach them. That's, okay. that's true, too. But just recently, I was speaking to our elders, and there was a situation in which some, I don't even know how to, to delicately represent it. There, were, there, were, there was a situation, there have been more than one, but a situation in which a younger woman needed to be addressed on an issue. And in this case, it involved a matter of modesty. Well, it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be real appropriate for a man to go up and say, you know, that is wrong, and here's why, and and you ought to do this instead of that. It would have been it would have been much better in that circumstance if an older woman would have taken that younger woman aside and said, this this is better. This would be more appropriate. This is what. A godly woman would do. Well, it's interesting in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that that's one of the things that the older woman was to teach the younger woman, to be chaste and discreet. Uh, so uh, certainly it is appropriate. Yeah. So, uh, again, when we talk about the roles, we were talking about women. We, again, we're still looking for examples. If you've got good examples of women in the Bible that you think stand out in that both their family or home relationships or in, in the relationship they had in service to God, please send your suggestions in. But we're talking sort of about their role uh women uh, are to be involved in teaching it's clear and and there's a there's a realm and there are restraints we want to talk more about the restraints on them speaking in church uh, about them teaching over men we'll talk a little bit more about that but i was thinking of another verse jacob that talks some about what women are to be doing it it is found in a list of good works in first timothy chapter 5 beginning verse 9 now in that context it was talking about women who were widows and who might be taken into the permanent benevolent charge or responsibility of the church. Uh, that's, that's not really pertinent to what we're discussing tonight, 1 Timothy 5, beginning verse 9. But notice just the list of good works that, that a worthy woman would have been involved in in that time. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. And so it talks about rearing children as an important part of her work. It talks about showing hospitality even to strangers, uh, lodging strangers. In that day, that was very important. Hospitality is still a very important thing for women to be involved in today. Washing the saints' feet, in other words, providing necessary service to people, relieving the afflicted, helping when there are physical needs or even spiritual uh, uh, affliction that she could step in and encourage. And but, diligently following every good work. Don't you think that's a key word there where it says to do it diligently? It's not something that just happens by chance. It's, it's an exertion. Not just once in a while. Right, but it was diligent. It was it, it, they. In other words, the the kind of women that Paul was describing there had established a track record of doing that sort of thing. They were diligent in it. They weren't doing it grudgingly or just just enough to get by, looking to to do the minimum. These were the kind of women who were going above and what what some people would refer to as above and beyond the call of duty. These were diligently seeking out opportunities to serve. I don't think though that what Paul is describing here is a woman who was weird in the first century as some type of strange Christian. I think he's describing a faithful Christian here. 
that they needed to take in a woman who had been doing things. These are not things that a normal woman wouldn't do, and this this woman just happened to do them. He's saying he's describing a faithful Christian here. I think in First Timothy chapter five verses nine and ten. Yeah, not something that was extraordinary. Yeah, in other words, this wasn't you know like a Mother Teresa. This was so so out of the ordinary right. that she just stood out. You get the indication there. He's talking about something that would have been fairly typical among. Christian women of the first century. Certainly. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. All right. So we're kind of looking, again, still looking for examples. If you've got examples of, of women in the church or in the uh, in their family relationships that were commendable, both Old or New Testament, I'm kind of surprised that nobody's mentioned the worthy woman of Proverbs chapter 31. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great passage. I think when, we'll get into that when, in the when may, when, second half of our program. We may talk a little bit more about that. And certainly there's some other great women of the Old Testament and New Testament that we haven't mentioned yet. Let's just let's just point out, Jacob, and you, you hinted at this earlier, that even though women have a distinct role that is different than the role of men, there's no God God does not consider them different in regards to worth. They have a different role, but they are they are worth as much to him. They in other words, they're they're Personal value is not diminished simply because they have a different role. You know, the women's liberation movement of uh, our society has told us that unless a woman's role is exactly the same as a man's role, she has no worth. Totally degraded her role that God has given her. But God has given men and women separate roles, different roles. There's no denying that if you look at the scriptures objectively. But in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, Paul equates them all and says that we're all equal in God's sight. Exactly right. Exactly right. Galatians 3, verse 28 and 29 through 29, For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all uh, equal in God's sight. And so you know, if we wouldn't make any other point than that, I think that's an important point to make in, in the world today is that the, the biblical roles for women, though different than men, and we can talk more about the distinction or differences between what men are authorized to do and what women are authorized to do. Women's role is different, but it is not demeaning and it's not unimportant and it does not cast off on their value as persons. It's just not so. And your daughters need to be taught that because they're not being taught that in public schools today. Exactly right. But, you know, I think... In a good way, there's been sort of a resurgence of uh, of women understanding the importance of family responsibilities and the work of, of rearing children and so forth, and that's a good thing. And and uh, you know, I, to, to the extent that that's happened in in fairly recent time, I, I think is is good. All right, we'll take a break, and when we get back from the other side of the break, let's get into the discussion of the home. We ask the question, what are some examples of women in the home? Let us know your thoughts. We have some coming in the chat room here. We'll talk about them on the other side of the break. But what are some uh, examples of women in the Bible who were uh, the kind of women they should be in the home? What are some things that the Bible teaches that women should do in the home? Let, let, us... me, throw out, let me throw out a, 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 an explosive question. What about where it says in Titus 2, Verse 4 and 5, that women are supposed to be keepers at home. How do you interpret that? How do you understand that? How do you apply the concept of women being keepers at home? Can they, and in specific, that's a, they can't work outside the home. They can't have a secular job, that sort of thing. That's what we want. We want to get into that. All right. We'll get into that on the other side of the break. Join in the discussion now. Give us a call. Send us an email. Join in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. The famous denominational preacher Charles Spurgeon complained about a fellow preacher whose sermons he said were, quote, little better than sacred miniature painting and amounted to holy trifling. Spurgeon went on to explain that, quote, he is great upon the ten toes of the beast, the four faces of the cherubim, the mystical meaning of badger's skins, and the windows of Solomon's temple. But the sins of businessmen, the temptations of the times, and the needs of the age he scarcely ever touches upon. Such preaching reminds me of a lion engaged in mouse hunting. 
That's from Spurgeon's lectures to his students. Spurgeon has been dead for over 100 years, but the situation has not improved. There's precious little preaching that addresses the real problem of sin in men's lives. Most preachers, like Spurgeon himself, teach a perverted doctrine that could not save a man even if he was convicted of his sin. Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 9 that those who teach a perverted gospel are accursed. We see more and more of this pointless preaching. The test of a preacher's worth has come to be his ability to entertain and make folks feel good rather than his ability to proclaim God's truth in a way that provokes men to obedience. Too many sermons that are preached do not include any information about what one must do to be saved. Such efforts clearly miss the mark. There's certainly a proper place for words of comfort. Paul did that in passages like 1 Thessalonians 1. But these positive words of peace need to be based upon the foundation of true obedience or else they are meaningless. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back into the program tonight. We're glad you're part of it. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to come and visit with the College View Church of Christ to find out what it is we're all about. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30 for Bible study, followed by a period of worship at 10.30. We meet again on Sunday evening for another period of worship at 6 o'clock p.m. And then on Wednesday, a period of Bible study at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. You are encouraged to attend any of those services. You'll be our welcome guest if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area. If you're not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, but you have questions about what it is that we believe in practice, you can find out more information by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Or if you have questions that cannot be answered from our website, you're welcome to contact us anytime at 877-381-4567, or we welcome your emails at questions at collegeview.com. On the virtual Bible study tonight, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the role of women, and certainly it is a role that is under attack in our society today. It's under attack in churches across America today. We've talked about the role of women in churches. We want to get into the role of women in the home as well, and certainly it is under attack today. Exactly right. And by the way, the chat room is is uh, out there for you to participate in. Anthony and Sharon have been chatting away. I, I think we've got several lurkers in the uh, in the chat room, Jacob, who haven't been commenting. Get your comments in there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Let's talk about women in the home, Jacob. All right. And one passage that is a key in understanding the role of women in the home is Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 that you alluded to previously, Dad, uh, where... We're told uh, to about the older women in Titus chapter 2, beginning of verse 4, that they teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands, uh, that the word of God be not blasphemed. A lot of important instructions in that passage for us to consider. I, I think so. Uh, the first of that is them is that the woman is to love her husband. That's an interesting uh, instruction. A woman's to love her husband. Uh, and it's, also, it's interesting to me that, uh, that uh, the instruction is found in the context of what older women are to teach younger women. Yeah, and so the kind of love that Paul's got to be talking about when he talked to Titus was not just some sort of gushy emotionalism. It was a love that could be learned, taught and learned. It wasn't the romantic kind of love right? where the butterflies and, uh, and the birds sing, Yeah, uh, something that they could be taught. Uh, it is uh, rooted, uh, and in, and, it, and that kind of love obviously is the kind of love that's self-sacrificial, right? Seeks the interest of the of the one loved more than yourself, okay? That sort of thing. All right, it is a command, and so uh, women need to understand that. Uh, need to understand uh, how our speech can betray uh, our feelings for our husband or our wife. That is, we talk about uh, the instruction to love the husband or the wife. Uh, women consider your what you how you talk about your husband. Maybe when you're around other women, do you betray or d- d- are you speaking that? here about the word that they're to be discreet? Well, or or are you just talking about in general? In general, oh, okay. In general, yeah, I think that's right. You know, I I do think I do think both husbands and wives have the temptation that when they're away from their mate to to speak negatively about them to others. You know, if 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 some husbands get together and they're not happy with their wives, maybe, or that relationship's not what it ought to be, they might cast off on their wife and really put them down. Mm-hmm. But I think women do the same thing sometimes, and that's not appropriate. That, and, that, and that would not be the kind of love that God intends for a wife to have for her husband. All right, it's also, she, needs to learn, she needs to learn to do better. All right. And also, it's interesting, there are no qualifiers put on this love. 
You know, it doesn't say love your husband if he's a wonderful husband. Love your husband if he always puts his socks in the dirty clothes bin. Love your husband if he doesn't leave the toilet seat up. It says love your husbands. No qualifiers. Sir. Right. Exactly right. All right. And what that implies is that you have to work at that. You know, it, it's you have to love them even though there are some things about husbands that are not lovable. You still love them. Right. There are very few things about us that are not lovable. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm sure. No, no I'm sure okay, we, okay. we rank right up okay, there. Okay. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Also told in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that a woman's to love her children. And, again, that's something that's under attack in our society as well. Yeah, I, I think this has got to be really stressed. You know, we're there to love their husbands. They're to love their children. And, again, that's the kind of love that means that they make sacrifices for the well-being of their children. Romans chapter 1 talks about natural affection, and certainly a lot of women without natural affection in our society today. But this uh, instruction is different than that. This is not a natural infection, affection. This is, uh, again, something that can be taught, something that can be learned, and women need to learn to love and appreciate their children. Um, well, there's a lot involved in that with, with children. That If she loved them like she should, then she would, of course, provide for their physical well-being. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's a tremendous job. And I know, I know wives and mothers are overwhelmed sometimes with, with child care responsibilities. Uh, that's a good work. That's a God-given assignment, just the, the physical necessities uh, of taking care of children. But we also should think about the, the spiritual well-being of the children. Wives and mothers have a huge role in that. You know, a lot of times the, the, the mother has a much more hands-on, uh, especially in, in terms of time spent, a lot more one-on-one with the children than the husband does because the necessity demands that he be earning a living, you know, away from the home more often. And so, you know, women need to understand their role in spiritually nurturing their children as well. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, Do you think that this is a problem in our society today? Do you think that women are loving their children as they should? You know, I think a lot of times... Uh, that women are tempted and uh, maybe encouraged by our society to view their children as a burden, view their children as, uh, as something that uh, that is tying them down, keeping them from enjoying the pleasures of this life that they really deserve to enjoy. Uh, you, you see it in the commercials. We hear it uh, uh, on the television programs, and uh, we maybe it is an, a common attitude today. Jacob, along the lines of bringing up children, the way they should be brought up, and we were talking, trying to come up with some worthy examples uh, of, of women. I'll tell you two that didn't get mentioned that deserved to be mentioned, Lois and Eunice, the mother and grandmother of mm-hmm. Timothy. And they're mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. They seem to have been outstanding women in the in, both in their service to God and in their relationship to their family, and they had done a great job in nurturing Timothy in spiritual things. They had taught him well from the time that he was a child. The Scripture says, and so you'd have to put those two women up there, uh, uh, rank them high. And and there, there's no indication that we we don't know we don't know what they might have done in the church, but they did a significant thing for the church in rearing Timothy to be the kind of person that he was. Even today. Their influence is even being felt today as well. Yeah, think about that. And so let's say here's a woman and she has children. She very consciously uh, attends to their spiritual rearing to teach them, to train them in the ways of God. Now, certainly the father's got to be involved in that too. I mean, the father can't delegate that and, and rid himself of that responsibility. But the the mother takes that on as an important role, a very important part of what she does. And the church is blessed as a result of that. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Anthony in Columbia says that many women are are sacrificing uh, the bringing up of their children. And uh, Sharon suggests that perhaps it's the love of money that's causing them to do this. Yeah, that might be. Uh, you know, we have gotten in our culture to the point where it's almost considered the norm. Well, not, not almost. It absolutely is considered the norm to have a two-income family, a 
high standard of living that requires both father and mother to be out there earning a living so you can spend more money, have more things. And Sharon says the excuse is that they want their children to have it better than they had growing up. And I think that's a relative term under what, you know, what perspective are you looking at? Yeah, I had it pretty good as a child because my mother was at home and took care of us. And and we were blessed in the process of that, you know, and I'd like my kids and my grandchildren to have it as good as I had it in that regard. You know, that's one way to look at it. All right. Now, we're certainly not making a blanket condemnation of any woman who uh, chooses to work outside the home, but there does need to be some serious consideration. Let's talk about that. that right there in that text that we were looking at earlier, Jacob. It says that there to be discreet, chaste. Of course, we could talk. We've talked before about modesty and morality as it, as, it, as it pertains to both men and women. Certainly. But let's talk about the expression there to be keepers at home. Um, I got a couple of definitions here from Thayer. Thayer says that that phrase means properly the watch or keeper of a house, keeping at home and taking care of household affairs, a domestic. Harper says a keeper or guard of a house, a homemaker, a stay-at-home, a domestic. And so I think it's clear that, in other words, this is not optional either. Just like it's not optional to love her husband, love her children. It's not optional. She's got to be a keeper at home. The The question arises, though, does that mean she, she cannot hold a job in the secular business world? And I'll, I'll go out. I'll go right out there and tell you where I think. I think not. I don't think that you can say that that necessarily excludes that possibility. She, this is she, this is her job, and she cannot forsake it. And I've often thought of, it should be viewed that if she does take a job outside the home, that should be considered her second job. Her first job is at home. She's a keeper at home. She can't neglect that job. If she takes another job, she's taking a second job. She's already got a first job. Her first job is to be a keeper at home. All right. Anthony says, my opinion is that keepers at home is not an exclusive pattern. It's a responsibility of a woman, but not her only responsibility. For example, the same passage says to love their husbands and children, but this isn't exclusive. We should love others, too. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a good way to view it, a good explanation of it. Uh, But I want to tell you, I I do think that uh, having said what I've already said, that I think women can hold a secular job. It's their second job. They've got a first job. Their first job is at home with family. If they choose or sometimes necessity demands that they take a, 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 a second job, they still got the first job, and they can't forsake the first job for the sake of the second job. But I'll tell you, if it is at all possible, it's best for mom to be at home. You know, and I've told a lot of people that I've tried to give that advice to a lot of younger couples and families. If there's any way you can manage it at all, keep mom at home. Because through the years, my experience has been that there's almost a one-to-one correlation. If you find problem kids and you look at the family situation, you find working moms. Now, I'm not saying that that's an exclusive pattern, but I'm saying there's a high correlation there. And it can't be by accident. Uh, you know, moms need to be at home if they can, if at all possible. It'd be better to drive older cars, live in smaller houses, and take no vacations if mom could stay at home and not work. All right. Uh, K Price 811 says the New American Standards Bible says that the workers, uh, it says workers at home, where the word is translated keepers at home. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, Dad, that the instructions to be keepers at home is not contingent on whether or not you work outside the home. And so just because you may have a job outside the home doesn't mean that it's not your responsibility to be a keeper at home when you get home. It's not your husband's responsibility. It's not your children's responsibility. Uh, it's your it's your responsibility to be a keeper at home and certainly needs to be understood. And, and what happens, and, and it's understandable, but what happens is you take that you take that job outside the home, and by the time you get home, you're exhausted, you're worn out, and therefore things at home have can't discipline the children. No, you don't have the energy to teach them in the way of the Lord. You don't have the energy to keep the home like you need to. Uh, those things suffer many times. Yeah. Again, not a blanket statement, not a blanket condemnation, but something that we need to think about. And, you know, as you said, we talk a lot about uh, you know, making sacrifices for the Lord. We talk a lot about that in theory. And when it gets down to the practice, we it's a little bit harder to, to talk about that. But this is an area where 
we need to put some things into practice. We talk about sacrificing the Lord to be pleasing to him. Maybe this is an area where we sacrifice. We don't have the material prosperity we could enjoy. We don't have the material prosperity the neighbor enjoys. We don't have the material prosperity that maybe our friends and family enjoy because we make the decision. So you made a sacrifice. Yeah. You made a sacrifice. You decided there was something more important than that new car or that uh, you know, exclusive vacation. I think that's a worthy sacrifice for spiritual priorities. All right. Uh, Anthony raises the question, what about the stay-at-home dad? And certainly uh, I've known of situations where the wife can make more than the husband, and so they swap roles. He's about, the keeper at home. Could, could, could they trade roles and he become the keeper at home? In other words, she didn't have that responsibility anymore because they traded. I got to say, I don't think so. There's nothing here that says one of you all has got to be a keeper at home. Right. It says the wife is to be the keeper at home. All right. Uh, let us know your thoughts about Anthony's questions if you're in the chat room tonight. We'll take a break and go to the top of the hour. Lots of ground to cover still. Yeah. So keep the comments coming. We're going to go to the top of the hour after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks it. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program. We talk about uh, the woman's role as the scriptures outline it to, tonight. Uh, we talked about uh, whether or not there's a blanket condemnation of women working outside the home. It certainly is not. In fact, I would uh, argue that there are times when a woman must work outside the home. Uh, for instance, what if the husband is ill and, uh, and there are needs in the family that cannot be met? I think it would be the woman's responsibility to provide for those needs where she can. Certainly not abandoning her responsibility to be the keeper of the home. But uh, certainly she would also have an obligation to provide for her own. And we've known situations like that. I'm sure you have as well, Dad, where the man was critically ill. And uh, the only way that the family could survive is for the woman to, to take a, a job outside the home. To but I still maintain that she, she still she, has a responsibility. Her, her role as keeper at home is still in, in place, and she can't forsake it. Okay. Nowhere she's got two jobs. She's now working two jobs. And, that's, and that can be overwhelming, but, but it's still necessary. And that's an extreme non-ideal situation yeah. the ideal situation is where the woman to stay at home and to be a keeper at home uh pat well she's got to be a keeper at home. It's, it'd be the ideal situation for us just to stay at home and not to have that second job right uh pat in harvest alabama i think pat takes views that she must stay at home and maybe can't work outside the home but he says it's always possible for the wife to stay at home isn't it all wives did until 70 or 80 years ago 
I don't know if that's the case. I'm not sure I'd agree with that analysis. It's not the case. And in the Old Testament times, in Proverbs chapter 31, and K. Price 811 mentions this, in Proverbs chapter 31, the virtuous woman was engaged in commerce outside of the home. And he said, I would remind everyone of the worthy woman in Proverbs 31. She worked outside the home. Verse 16 says she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, that is an Old Testament account. And I believe Pat would tell us that uh, we can't get our authority from that. But it does go to show that Pat's Pat's assertion is not valid. Well, we referenced Lydia in Acts 16, too, who seemed to be engaged in business enterprise. And she wasn't in her home city. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know. Uh, I, uh, it's a, it's our difference with Pat would be fairly minor because we're going to agree that in the, almost all cases we want mom at home. I just, I just come up short on being able to say that it, there's a blanket, uh, condemnation, condemnation, because or bag, blanket limitation placed on women that they cannot take on any responsibility outside the home. And if it's and if it's true that she cannot work out the side of the home, that means she cannot be engaged in any activity outside the home. She can't volunteer at the, the children's school. She couldn't go to uh, her sister's house and have a yard sale well, uh, and make profit uh, at the yard sale. She couldn't do anything outside the home if it means she has to be a keeper at home 24-7. Well, and I even think that some of the good works that we read earlier from 1 Timothy 5, verse 10. Sure. She wouldn't be able to do all those good works, relieving the afflicted, washing the saints' feet. Volunteering yes, at the community hospital. You know, so, I, I, again, I want, I want mom, wives and moms home. I think that's their important first duty. But I just, I, I come up short saying that you, they couldn't ever do any, take on a responsibility in addition to that responsibility, they can't they can't leave that responsibility. But can they take on a responsibility in addition to it? And that clarification should not be used to discredit what we've said previously, as you mentioned, that women need to understand their incredible and important responsibility to be a keeper at home and to raise their children as they should. This certainly is a, a role that has not been adopted as it should have been in our society today. Um, I, I'm getting some emails from Arthur and Kalioka. And I'm not sure. He, he, he's given me several verses. One is First Timothy 5, verse 14, which says, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give not occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Again, the idea of guiding the house, an important, this important realm of women. He also references Second Timothy 1, 5 and Second Timothy 3, 15, talk about the grandmother and mother of Timothy. Uh, he, he gives a reference to Hannah in... Uh, uh, 1 Samuel 1, verses 26 and following, and also references Ruth as as some worthy women. I think those are exactly true. And then he also mentions Luke chapter 1, verse 27, and I'm, I'm almost sure that's got to be a reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as definitely being a w- worthy woman. Luke chapter 1, verse 27 a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Uh, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So uh, Mary definitely stands out as a great woman of the Bible. Thank you, Arthur. All right. We have another instruction for women that is not popular in our society today, and that is an instruction. another instruction we find in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And that is the instruction that women should be obedient to their own husbands. Uh, your scriptures are plain on that, but again, that's uh, something that is not popular today. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever been popular, but it's definitely not popular today. Well, the whole idea, I, mean, I, I just think all of us, men and women alike, have a lot of problem with the subject of submission. We don't like to submit to anything about, to anybody about anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in Ephesians 5, it says in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Pretty plain statement. You know, try some of the attitudes that uh, that you might be tempted to have uh, on Christ. I'll do it, but I'll do it if I agree. I'll be obedient if I agree. I'll be obedient if I want to. I'll be obedient if I like it. No, it just says be obedient, the same way that we're to be obedient to Christ. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, 
What, what else we got there, Jacob? Uh, I wanted to get to this question about women keeping silent. You better the hurry church. then. We're going to run out of time. First Corinthians fourteen thirty four. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted to them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. What about this keeping silence? Uh, an associated verse would have to be First Timothy two verses eleven and twelve. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. All right. Uh, we already pointed out that women can teach. We used uh, Priscilla, wife of Aquila, as an example of that. Uh, with proper limitations, they can teach even over, even teach a man, not over a man, I think, but can teach a man under, under proper limitations. Uh, but what about this idea of them keep silence? And notice the construction there. First Corinthians fourteen thirty four. Let your women keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted to them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. This this verse is of a unique construction in the New Testament. We sometimes refer to them as not but passages. They're not to do one thing, but they're just to do something else. And these kind of passages. Uh, emphasize, uh, it's it's a qualified negative, someone might say. Let me give you some other examples. Uh, um, John chapter 6, verse 27 is a good one. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Now, it's not saying you're not supposed to work for your physical meat, but your eternal meat or your eternal nourishment is more important than your physical nourishment. And so it's it's stressing the idea that there's one there's something more important and not but is a is a qualified negative. And so when it says women keep silence in the church, it is not permitted to them to speak, but they're to command to be under obedience. They are not allowed to speak in any way. That would make them not in submission or obedience to the men in the assembly. Okay, I think that's the key to understanding that statement in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse thirty-four. They cannot speak in the church in any way that would make them to be considered not obedient or not submissive to the men. Uh, I think that's what he's saying there. If taken literally, let your women keep silence in the church. It's not permitted them to speak. Then they couldn't sing, but singing is considered a form of speak, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, uh, uh, Ephesians five eighteen, Colossians three sixteen. Singing is a form of speaking, but, and a form of teaching in Colossians, and 2, a form verse of 16. teaching even. Right, and so the, the, they are allowed, even commanded to speak. So it's not literal ultimate silence that that when it says let your women keep silence in the church, it's not saying they can't make a peep. They can't open their mouth at all. If taken literally, it would mean they couldn't even, if their child was misbehaving, they couldn't lean over and whisper, you better be still or I'll take you out and spank you. Couldn't say that because they couldn't say anything. They'd have to be in absolute ultimate silence. And I don't know anybody who believes that. And so what we have to do to understand it is to understand it's a qualification. They are not permitted to speak, not a peep, not anything at all that would indicate that they are not in submission or obedience to the men. For instance, here, here would be an example. Here's a woman, and and so the man is, is teaching, and she's letting out sighs or moans to indicate her disapproval of what he's doing. Well, that that's a sound that she can't make. She can't make that sound in the church. She shouldn't be making it at any time, but she's to be silent in that regard in the church. She's She's not to be out of obedience or out of submission in that relationship. All right. Uh, certainly, uh, it's important to understand the instruction because, as we mentioned at the beginning of the program, this uh, idea that women are to be in subjection uh, is in cha- being challenged in religious groups all over the country and even groups that call themselves Churches of Christ. Okay. All right. Uh, looks like we're about out of time. Uh, we, we, I think I, there, there's several other things we could have commented about, Jacob. But hopefully we've touched on some things that are important in regards to God's role for women both in the home and in the church. Uh, certainly so important role. does not need to be minimized, does not need to be taken for granted as uh, we think about or look, And it should not be looked down upon no. in any way at all. It's a very important role. And it is a God-given role. 
and God expects women uh, to adopt that role. And so First Timothy chapter 2, as uh, we uh, look at uh, the instruction that God gives to women there in verse 15, it says, Notwithstanding, she shall be, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. We don't, that's a big verse to bring up at the end. But what it's telling us is that if she'll assume the role that God has given her. And if she'll do the things that are in her realm. The childbearing is a word that's used there just to indicate the woman's realm. That's right. If she'll assume the role God has given her, she'll be blessed eternally because it's an important role. Exactly right. All right. We appreciate uh, you being on the program tonight. Thank you for your time, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. We hope that you benefited from our discussion tonight, and uh, we hope that you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.